Hello. Thank you for tuning in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. False prophets were lying to the people and the false prophets were not doing what Jeremiah was called to do, which was to challenge the people over their immorality, over their idolatry and over their willful The royal prophets were the main media outlet in Jerusalem and unfortunately they used their position to slander the prophet Jeremiah. The unpopular prophet Jeremiah was up against the more conscience-friendly and more popular media outlet. So how to respond? Good question. Tonight we join Dr Corbett for You Can't Believe Everything You Read in the Newspaper. And as I was pondering this section where Jeremiah was having all kinds of publicity battles, where he was being slandered, he was being accused of all sorts of things. And this was largely coming from what was essentially in his day the only media outlet, which was the royal uh, palace. The palace was responsible for um, those people that proclaimed the news out on the streets and so on. And the palace had in its employ... What, what were regarded as prophets and there was a whole bunch of these guys who were essentially uh, spruiking a message and at this time we, we, we read of Jeremiah just complaining to the Lord really that these prophets were slammed and oh, you know anyone who rings with that kind of phone message has got my attention and then as, as uh, it, it unfolded uh, I, I started to get calls from journalists and and then the next day in the newspaper we have the uh, the Mercury uh, you know we get a mention on the front page of the Mercury that was uh, Friday's Mercury and then uh, there's a a front page mention on on the uh, Friday's Examiner and an article on page three and then. Um, there were other journalists that uh, sought an interview and I did a live interview with Louise Saunders on ABC uh, Drive in Hobart uh, talking about what had happened in Parliament. Now, if you're aware of what, what happened, was apparently I had organised an, an anti-gay rally on the northwest coast about three or four weeks ago, which I encouraged people to bring banners which said uh, gays are mutants um, and uh, this was stated in parliament which means it has parliamentary privilege and all this was was stated as a matter of fact and um, a a close friend of mine Michael Ferguson Michael and I have been friends for a long time and he's a good man and thank God that he's in parliament and uh, he was he was identified as having attended this rally and giving it its support now there's a couple of problems with this story though firstly three four weeks ago i was in new zealand i wasn't actually at a rally uh secondly the the organization uh which was formed around the the uh around 2002 uh, it, it it compiled a report around 2003 called the tasmanian family institute it then published a book, What is a Family, which we have available at the back there in 2004. The board of that organisation was wound up at the end of that period and I was appointed to be the spokesman for the group, the director of the group, 
just so we, I could speak to and defend our documents which we had published. And we've never organised an event. Did not even organised a colouring competition, let alone uh, banners or placards. So it's with great interest that, you know, I actually, in what I'm about to share with you, I actually have a bit of a personal stake in this message today. You can't believe everything you read in the newspapers. And so as we, as we look at this, this section, pardon me if I just kind of point this way and look at the text a little bit more closely, because I, I could actually be getting something out of this today myself, uh, which actually happens quite a lot, where I feel the Lord is speaking to me. So you can't believe everything you read in the newspaper so let's see if we can make sense out of this we're in jeremiah chapter 14 as we do let's just come before the lord and ask him to help us lord as we open your word your gift to mankind not just your gift to the church but your gift to mankind we pray that your holy spirit would open our eyes and help us to see help us to hear help us to understand what your word says I pray, Lord, that as we take your word and as we see the heart of your servant Jeremiah, the heart of deep compassion, the one who is known as the prophet who wept, I pray, Lord, that our soul might be stained with a tear from your eye, that we might feel the weight, the sorrow, the grief that you feel over children of yours who have gone astray and help us to have compassion for them just like Jeremiah had for his people in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We're reading Jeremiah chapter 14. We're starting in verse 13. I remind you that Jeremiah has just been told by the Lord, do not pray for this people. Now, in one respect, what we're about to read could be interpreted as Jeremiah continuing to intercede for the people. Verse 13, then I said, Our Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you see famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. You see, they were mocking Jeremiah's message. And the prophets, so-called, the ones in the royal employ, were mocking Jeremiah. There won't be sword, there won't be famine, there won't be pestilence. We're God's people. It's peace for us, it's prosperity for us. We kind of hear that today a little bit, don't we? Come to Jesus and he'll make you well, he'll make you happy, he'll make you wealthy. Well, I'll come to that Jesus, but I've actually encountered the real Jesus. The real Jesus who can heal. He can make you abundantly happy. He can. And he can prosper you. He can. But he's not obligated. It's not a must. He doesn't have to. And if he chooses to, and you you are enjoying those blessings and those benefits, fall on your knees and thank him. But if you are not, he's done nothing unkind to you. If he has saved you from your sins, he's done everything for you. Everything. Oh, man. Can we be satisfied with Jesus as Saviour? But honestly, why, why are we looking for a Jesus, the, the wizard? Why are we looking for a Jesus, the magician? Why can't we be satisfied with Jesus, the Saviour? Why not? And here's these false prophets mocking. And so 
The world hears our message that Jesus is the saviour. By implication, it means that we need a saviour. By implication, it means that we have done something that, that really is not right before God. Does it make sense? I need a saviour. Verse 14, And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. Oh, wow. Boy, God is really revealing to Jeremiah the contrast between those that are genuinely speaking God's word and those that are speaking something from their own imagination or even devilish. The world will ridicule messengers who tell them they need a saviour. This is what Jeremiah was experiencing. Verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land, by sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. Now, Jeremiah could well be forgiven for thinking that these very, very popular prophets... I mean, if you think about it, here's Jeremiah saying, sword, famine, pestilence. Here's a group of false prophets saying, no sword, no famine, no pestilence, it's all cool, we're all cool. <laughs> now, think about this. Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prophesying this message and it hadn't happened. There'd been no sword. They hadn't been slain by an army of coming in in swords. And there wasn't, you know, the dead decaying bodies bringing the pestilence, which is the picture. And thereby, you know, they've cut off the food supply. There wasn't famine yet. What's going on in Jeremiah's mind? Here he is with this message, sword and famine and pestilence. And there's the false prophets going, no sword, no famine, who's pe no pestilence. Who's right? You see, who does it look as if? They're right. What's going on in Jeremiah's heart? Here's Jeremiah saying, God will be your saviour. God will be your saviour. And here's the picture that there's really nothing to be saved from. What's going on in Jeremiah's heart? We read in verse 16. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. Wow. Wow. What were these false prophets doing and what were these false prophets not doing? The false prophets were lying to the people and the false prophets were not doing what Jeremiah was called to do, which was to challenge the people over their immorality, over their idolatry, and over their willful ignorance, the three eyes. They were immoral. They thought sex was nothing sacred at all. You know, they, they could have justified it as saying, well, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm born with an urge that's bigger than one woman. 
You know, there probably are guys who are born with an urge bigger than one woman. Probably there are people born with an urge to eat as much cheesecake as they can get too, and neither are necessarily going to do you much good. Just because you've got an urge doesn't mean God put that urge there. There are some people I get the urge to slap, and I don't think God gave me that urge. (laughs) Not every urge you have can you blame God for. You can't appeal to your urges. To justify your actions. And maybe this is what the prophets were doing. They were the leaders. Jeremiah has already pointed out these were the ones that were practicing immorality on the high places, offering, burning their children to false gods, idolatry. These false prophets, instead of leading the nation in these things, should have been challenging the nation in these things. And that's what Jeremiah had been doing. So these false prophets were more concerned with their popularity and meanwhile while all this is going on i wonder was there an internal struggle in jeremiah you know these guys so far they're right and he's wrong and this is where perhaps i'm 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 trying to imagine what was jeremiah going through at this point this is a really hard time he's on his own he feels alone verse 17 you shall say to them this word let my eyes run down with tears night and day, let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound, with a grievous blow. How would you feel if you had a whole bunch of people that controlled essentially the media and they were scandalising you, they were maligning you, they were attacking you? How would you feel toward them? Now have a look at this verse and tell me this is not staggering. That God says, I weep for these people. I feel compassion for the wound of my people. Wow. Wow. Isn't this breathtaking? That in the midst of all of this opposition, malignment and hatred and and insult and scandal. God says, I still have compassion for my people. What would Jeremiah have needed to continue in serving the Lord? I think Jeremiah would have needed great courage to serve the Lord. And if you ponder it, for you to share your faith with your work colleague or someone in your neighborhood or your community it is actually going to require courage so if you feel timidity you feel fear normal check your pulse breathe into a mirror you are normal it requires courage and this is what jeremiah required as well jeremiah needed courage to continue to speak to these people notice this we 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 read on in verse 18, If I go out into the field, behold, those pierced by the sword. If I enter the city, behold, the diseases of famine. Now these things hadn't happened yet. This is God reassuring Jeremiah, it's going to happen. What's God doing? God is comforting Jeremiah at his point of doubt. I'm convinced of this. And I have to be convinced of this 
because I've experienced this innumerable times. That at your lowest point, when you cry out to God, God meets you. He meets you. And here God met Jeremiah, reassures him, you are my servant, these people are not. Reassured him, this is my word that I put in your mouth, what these false prophets are speaking is not. And so Jeremiah knew, he knew God's comfort. Now as I think about this for us, we read on, for both the prophet and the priest ply their trade through the land and have no knowledge. Willful ignorance, one of the three things that they should have addressed that they didn't. So as we think about this for today, didn't Jesus say something about the need for courage? Didn't Jesus say something about the world not, not loving our message? Didn't Jesus say in the world you'll have tribulation? Didn't he say when all men speak evil against you, in that day I will give you the words to speak? So Jesus himself was like Jeremiah as well, a perfect man, a man who declared the love of God and yet he was, he was butchered. And Jesus warns us, and it's to be forewarned is to be strengthened and ready. Jesus warns us, you follow me, you, you probably won't be the most popular person on the block, but that's okay. So we, all, we also can see from this passage in Jeremiah that there will be times when we experience times of doubt. We'll have times of doubt. Is this really God's word? And I think God will sort out what we have believed the word of God said and what the word of God actually says. There was a fellow in America, in uh, Northern California, by the name of Harold Camping, who predicted, emphatically predicted, based on what he said was the clear teaching, no, that the clear teaching of the Bible, that Jesus Christ would return on May 21st, 2011. It's now July 2011. It didn't happen. And I wonder how many hundreds or even thousands of people said, there you go, if that's what the clear teaching of the Bible is, I don't want anything to do with it because you guys are all nuts. And I think sometimes those things will get sorted out because, you know, I'll tell you right now, the Bible does not even vaguely, let alone clearly say that Jesus Christ will return on May 21st, 2011. I think he did revise that to October 31, uh, 2011. Which is just getting absurder and absurder. So we can be absolutely sure God will strengthen us at our point of doubt. And here's, here's, here's what I think is really helpful, and it really helps me to know this. Here's Jeremiah, perhaps having doubt in the midst of this. The antidote to doubt is not more faith. Well, you, you just stop using your head. Just believe harder. That's not the answer. The answer is the truth. The answer is the truth. The answer to whatever doubt you have is not more faith. The answer to whatever doubt you have is the truth. The truth is the best antidote to doubt. And the truth is that there is a creator. 
It is God, and he has sent his son into the world, Jesus Christ, who divided time between BC and AD, and this son of God is the saviour of the world. That's the truth. So when we think about the opposition we get, here's Jeremiah getting all this fierce opposition. What should be our attitude to the opposition we get? You'll get jibes at work. You'll get jibes in school. You'll get jibes from people, your family, whatever. They'll ridicule your Christianity. What's our response to them? Let the, to- let the air out of their tyres? Put, put sugar in their fuel tank? I'm going to write those down. That's pretty... No. <laughs> I just heard something. Oh, darn. Um, the... <laughs> Our attitude is revealed here by God. He weeps. His heart is broken over the wound of his people. He's grieved by this. Jeremiah was grieved by this. We should be grieved by it as well. How do we feel about people who attack us? Do we hate them? Certainly not. How do we feel about people we tell you need a saviour? Do we hate them for their sin? Not at all. In fact, the most loving thing we can do is to tell them there is a saviour. So we have deep compassion for them. Our attitude to those who, who won't believe is compassion and care. But despite the false prophets, despite even false prophets who feign being a Christian and and pretend to be a church community who say all this talk of hell all this talk of the wrath of God that's just so yesterday we're into the grace and love of God you can call him Buddha you can call him Krishna you can call him Ali you can call him anything you want we don't care despite that we still warn people there is a wrath to flee from there is a God who will one day judge the world We will all stand before this God. And unless Jesus Christ is your saviour, it's either him or you. And you better be found in him because he's the only one who can and has withstood the wrath of God. So, where do we finish up with this? Well, we, we, we read on in Jeremiah chapter 31 to 33 that Jeremiah said, God is finished with you. He's finished with this old covenant. He's going to establish a new covenant. So here's the difference between us and Jeremiah. We proclaim the grace of God. Do we proclaim, repent, Tasmania, or God will bring sword, famine, pestilence? No, we don't. No, we don't. Is our message, as, as someone is now putting out on the internet, repent, Tasmania, or God will send a tsunami arising out of Bass Strait and it will destroy Hobart? I've written about this on my blog and I wrote a response to this going, this is absolutely absurd. For starters, there is no ocean between mainland Australia and Tasmania and for an oceanic tsunami, you need an oceanic. (laughs) Secondly, there's no fault line between here and the mainland in the ocean. Actually, Tasmania actually sits on a, on like a, is it a shelf or a, whatever it is. Anyway, there there can be, secondly... uh, Thirdly, a tsunami to travel from Devonport to Hobart, uh, some, was that 220 kilometres? 
The Guinness Book of Records has the, the furthest tsunami ever travelling six miles. Now, okay, sure, hey, look, whoa, there could be a tsunami coming out of Bass Strait that goes over Devonport, oh, <laughs> on Hobart. And I've been to Hobart and I've seen some sinners there and I'm not saying nothing about, you know, the wrath of God, but, you know, it's like... Me? Oh, um, our message is not one of God's wrath on a people physically right now. Our message is that there is, there is a God who has done all he can to save people from his ultimate wrath. He sent Jesus. So what did Jeremiah not have the ability to proclaim? New covenant grace. We are in a new covenant where Jesus Christ has, has demonstrated that he's the saviour. And he has done this because of his grace. And so today, we proclaim to our audience, our community, our people, our family, our work colleagues, our neighbourhood, our Facebook friends, that Jesus Christ is saviour. And no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter who you've told, I'll never become a Christian, God can still be your saviour. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would help us to live and proclaim Christ as saviour. I pray, Lord, that in those moments of doubt that we all experience, that we, Lord, would be strengthened by your comfort and that, Father, the truth, the truth of your word and the truth that is encapsulated in your word but clearly on display for all to see will meet our doubt head on and dispel our doubt and that we will be grounded in the truth. I pray, Father, for those that have never made you saviour. They are troubled in their soul. They have anguish, they have guilt, they have shame. I pray for them that they right now will pray a prayer that will change not just their eternal destiny but their life from this point. Oh, to be clean from sin. Oh, to be washed of guilt. Oh, to be set free from shame all through the work of Christ on the cross. And if that's you, you know that you've never Receive Jesus Christ as your saviour. I invite you to pray a prayer, a prayer from your heart, a prayer that says, oh God, forgive me. Jesus, come in to my heart and help me to live for you, I pray. Amen. Jeremiah had doubts. He had to process them and respond wisely to slander. Not a comfortable place to be, but he had God on his side. To order a CD or DVD copy of the full session of tonight's program of Finding Truth Matters, write to us at media at lagana.org. Podcasts and other Finding Truth Matters resources are available either via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Andrew Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. 
Thank you for joining us tonight. We look forward to sharing with you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.